Christ Church, New Malden, Sunday the 26th of June 2022, 9.30 service. Nathan Larkin speaking in the series, The Fruit of the Spirit, Self-Control. Well, I once heard this story about a married couple who visit the same fair every year. And every time they're there, they have the same argument. At the fair, there's a stall which offers helicopter rides for 50 pounds. A helicopter ride had long been on the husband's bucket list, and every year he begged his wife to let them ride. Each time, his wife refused, quipping, 50 pounds is 50 pounds. This year, the stall was there again, and again the husband begged his wife, please can we go for a ride? Again, she turned it down, saying, 50 pounds is 50 pounds. This time, however, the pilot who was manning the stall, he overheard the argument, and he decided to offer them a solution. He told the couple that they could have a ride in the helicopter for free, but that there was one condition. They must not make a single sound while they were in the air. And if they did make a sound, then they would have to pay the full 50 pounds. The husband and wife, well, they looked at each other and they decided this was too good an offer, too good an opportunity to turn down, so they climbed aboard. As soon as they left the ground, the pilot began performing hair-raising maneuvers in the air from left to right, dropping down and going up fast to slow. But try as he might, he could not get the couple to utter a single sound. When they did finally touch down, the pilot turned to the husband and he shouted, how did you stay silent? How did you do that? That was the most amazing show of self-control I have ever witnessed. You have definitely earned your free ride. And the husband replied to him, well, I nearly said something when my wife fell out, but 50 pounds is 50 pounds. (laughs) So, self-control. It's the final fruit of the spirit. And, well, nine weeks ago, we began this series, as Tim said, we began it with love. And the way I like to think of it is that love is like the seed of all of the fruit of the Spirit. Love is what they grow out of. But if love is the seed of the fruit of the Spirit, then self-control is a bit like the glue that holds it all together. In fact, this last fruit of the Spirit is not at the end of the list as a sign that it's the least important of the nine. No, I believe self-control is there to hold the rest of them together, to hold them up. It's essential to keep all the others from being distorted and perverted. Because it's a strange thought, but every good thing, every virtue can become a negative thing if it's not controlled. It's the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of self-control that tells us, a believer, when we are getting out of balance and we may be letting the flesh be our guide rather than the Spirit of God. And we'll hear more about that dichotomy later. But even love needs the balance that comes with self-control. And if love can go wrong because of lack of self-control, then so can all of the other fruits. Joy out of control can lead to extremes of indulgence that are harmful for us in the long run. Even peace and patience can be so extreme that it leads to lethargy and indifference towards a hurting world. Kindness can lead to such a sugary sweetness that people gag on it and avoid it as being superficial. 
As I said, a loss of self-control involves using good things in a bad way. And a good thing out of control is a bad thing. And that's why self-control is the key to keeping all of this fruit of the Spirit from going bad. For example, normal hunger, thirst, fatigue, even sex are good in God's sight. But when your appetite takes control and you lose self-control, it becomes greed. When fatigue results in laziness, it's wrong. And when a normal healthy sex drive goes into overdrive and causes a loss of self-control, it's wrong. So how do we tell how well we're doing on the self-control front? Well, I've come up with a few scenarios, a few questions to think about the presence of self-control in our lives. And I stress, you don't need to answer out loud, but let's have a little think about them together. Okay, so here's the first one. How are you as a finisher of dull tasks? When it's your turn to do the dishes, for instance, and you look at the overflowing countertop, do you go and do it and complete the task right then and there, or are you more likely to end up being a couch potato for the evening, or to do something fun instead and simply put it off until tomorrow, or maybe even forget about it completely? If you ask Anna, which I am, then you might get an idea why I've said not to answer these out loud, okay? Um, but yeah, I, I'm not so good at doing things that aren't very fun right then and there. Okay, here's another one that uh, I, I wrote this before I realized that um, Paul McCartney was going to be playing on Glastonbury main stage last night till very, very late. So I'm a bit embarrassed even reading it, but here we go. When it's getting late and you know that you need to be at your best for something the next morning, do you shut off the TV or do you put away whatever hobby you're working on and get the sleep that you need in order to be sharp the next morning? You can guess how I'm doing there as well. Okay, let, let, let's move on. Oh, here's a good one. When you're browsing through some online shops or you walk into the high street and you've got a pocket full of credit cards, what's likely to happen? Or when you're flicking through channels late at night, scrolling through videos on social networks, or are confronted by a pop-up whose content is less than wholesome, do you delete them or scroll past it every time? Or do you occasionally linger longer than you should, or got drawn into watching something that's unhealthy for you? Are you careful not to say negative things about people with whom you're upset, especially to third parties who are not involved in the situation? A lot of these things are about avoiding doing things that are harmful. But here's, here's another thing that's important. When you need to deal with something difficult, something where you know what the right thing to do is, and you know that you can do it, but it will probably be unpleasant or difficult, do you do the hard thing and deal with it redemptively and in a timely way? It's not just about avoiding difficult things. Sometimes it's about doing things that are difficult when we know what the right thing to do is, and self-control plays a part in all of this. There could be hundreds of scenarios suggested, and some of these are more drastic, some of these are, 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 are just silly and fun, but, but all questions around self-control are important. Because we live in a world where we are constantly surrounded by temptations. Temptations to do the wrong thing, the lazy thing, the greedy thing, but also temptations to not do the thing that is right, even if we know that we should. And for all of us, we have this battle within to be who we know we can be, 
who God has called us to be. But it's the art of self-control that will enable us to move towards being that person, even when we are surrounded by temptation. I once heard it said that ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the water that gets in them. An entire sea of water can't sink a ship until it gets inside. And similarly, the temptations of the world can't pull us down unless we allow them to get inside us. So don't let what's happening around you get inside you and weigh you down. I think a good place to start is by acknowledging that we are all capable of doing terrible things. A self-controlled person is someone who does a lot of self-examination. They don't just drift and respond to whatever comes along. They listen to their body and examine their mind. And if they feel a strong temptation to do what they shouldn't, they don't add fuel to the fire. They're honest about their temptation and are determined to control it within the bounds of God's will. To those who fail and they lose control and disobey God, which we all do at times, we often do so because we're not being honest about our potential for sin and folly. But the Christian who says, I know that I can fall, is the one most likely to avoid falling. The one who pretends that temptation is no problem for them is the one at high risk. And self-control demands that we're honest about our weaknesses and we admit them before we face temptation. The Apostle Paul described human nature in the way that we just read in Romans 7. And listen again as I read it, as I don't know about you, but I certainly find myself in this passage as we, as we read here he, here he goes, he says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble's with me, for I'm all too human. I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself because I want to do what is right, and I don't do it. Instead, I do things that I hate. I've discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Now this is Paul talking, the apostle. He's the guy that wrote the fruit of the spirit list in the first place. And yet, when you hear him here, it sounds like he's totally out of control. It sounds like he finds the concept of self-control completely unreachable. Yet the same Paul wrote to the churches in Corinth. And he said, so I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. So which is it? Paul tells the Christians in Rome, I really want to do what's right, but I can't. He tells the Corinthians, I run straight towards the goal with purpose in every step. And he tells the Galatians that self-control is a fruit of the spirit. This guy's all over the place. Was he a hypocrite? How can he preach that he's got his act completely together? I fight to win, I run towards the goal, and then confess that he can't control himself. When I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. What's going on? Well, no, Paul wasn't a hypocrite, and he didn't have any special behavioral issues, at least not any more than you or I. But he was trying to get a point across. Paul was telling the Christians in Rome about human nature. 
It's human to want to behave one way, but behave another. It's human to try to do right, but end up finding ourselves in the wrong. It's human to be totally out of control at times. I remember watching a Simpsons episode as a kid that for some reason really stuck with me. And in it, Lisa plays a joke on Bart and she puts a cupcake on the side attached to an electrical current along with a sign saying, do not touch. When Bart inevitably touches it, he gets a massive electric shock. He wants it, but it hurts him. So he, he braces himself and he goes again. Same result, massive electric shock. He tries again, bzz, tries again, bzz. And to me, this was an insight into human nature. We have these things in front of us that we desire, but they end up hurting us. But even knowing the pain that it can cause, we keep going for it. Now that's a, that's a funny example, but this is really serious stuff that we're dealing with. Marriages end because people cannot control their sexual desires. People ruin their lives because they can't get a grip of their addictions. People lose it all when they let greed and anger control them. And I don't doubt that these same people desire to do what is good and pure, but we just can't carry it out on our own. We lack self-control. As we heard in our reading from Galatians 5, for Paul, there were sort of two states of life, two ways of living, and we end up in either one or the other. Life according to the flesh or life according to the spirit. The flesh he called sinful nature as well. Now, the sinful nature or the flesh, you can guess, is everything that we've heard described just now. Our struggle and often our failure to do what is right. But living according to this spirit, of course, then, is, is living with the present, or sorry, living according to the spirit of God, is then living with the presence of God alive within us and conforming us into God's image. The flesh, where we have no self-control and do whatever we want, and the spirit, which guides us into a new life, a new way of being. And we get descriptions of what these two kinds of lives look like. Firstly, the flesh. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Okay, so it's a bit of a naughty list. Santa would not approve. But, but seriously, these are things that destroy lives and relationships, that cause pain and brokenness in our lives. No one grows up aspiring to these things. Then the life of the spirit is contrasted and the fruit that it produces in our lives. And that's what we've been thinking about over the last nine weeks. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now this sermon series hasn't just been a list for us to learn or a fun song to remember. This is what being a Christian looks like. So let's not just put these things in a frame on our wall and, and, uh, and think it looks pretty or on a tea towel in our kitchen. This list is something that we need to actively pursue. We need to go after these virtues in our lives. You see, if we belong to Jesus, 
the flesh with its passions and desires gets crucified. We no longer desire after the things that harm us. We get a new set of priorities. And if we're going to live the Christian life, if we're going to have faithful marriages and integrity and live holy and pure and full lives, then we need this gift from God, his spirit at work within us, producing new life. But since the desires of the flesh can often cloud our thinking, I don't think we can depend on any sort of natural self-control. It's not about just trying harder. We need the supernatural self-control of the Holy Spirit to be assured of victory. Real self-control goes against human nature. We are a bundle of desires. We want what we want and we'll scream till we get it. No matter how hard we try to put a lid on our desires, they're going to pop up somewhere, some way. It's human nature. But the whole idea of Christianity, of being a follower of Jesus, is to take on his nature. That's what this series is about. When we surrender our desires and take on the nature of Jesus, we begin to see this fruit growing from within. So, back to the self-control question, how do we become self-controlled people? Allowing the Holy Spirit into our lives to guide and to transform us. Well, as I said, it begins as we surrender to and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Choosing the Holy Spirit is an absolute necessity for Christian living. Why? Because as we've said, the power of a fruitful life comes from the Spirit, not us. Just as an apple tree doesn't think about producing apples, it produces apples because it's an apple tree and because it's connected with the source of life. And it's just like this for us, for believers. A believer doesn't try to produce righteous fruit. We produce fruit because we are a believer and because we're connected to the source of life, the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 36, it says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you and take out your old stony, stubborn heart, give you a tender, responsive heart instead. I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So how does that work? Are you zapped with the spirit of God and never struggle again? Do you become a Christian and all bad habits, toxic thought patterns, addictions to sin and sinful things just disappear? No. We know that from our own experience. We know that from Paul's struggles in Romans 7. No, we need to learn to appropriate what God has given us, to cooperate with the gift of God's renewing presence, his spirit alive and at work within us. And the Bible uses the language of us keeping in step with the Spirit as we learn to cooperate with God, his promptings, and immerse ourselves in his word, then we begin to walk in the same direction as the Spirit of God is directing us. This is a supernatural presupposition. This isn't going to come just from trying harder. It isn't going to come by reverting to a whole lot of rules. It's going to come by getting to know the will of God and the voice of God and the ways of God, and keeping in step. And it will come through supernatural empowerment. We have to ask for it. We have to ask God and be willing to receive it. There's a strength and self-control 
that only the Spirit of God can give us. But we can do it. We can overcome habits and addictions. We can see our characters change. We can commit to honourable living and service in the world. And we do it as we learn to stay in tune with God's vision of the world. This is a really helpful picture, I I find, of of how we might begin to, to live that way, in tune. Because one of the things that my daughter Emily loves doing is walking on my feet. She steps on and we'll walk around the house or dance along to one of her favorite songs. She steps where I step. She'll go where I'm going. She allows me to control her steps and we stay in the same direction. We get the rhythms of how to walk together. And just like Emily and I walking in the kitchen, we need to learn how to keep in step with the Spirit of God. So as we finish, here are a few tips, practical tips, I guess, for keeping in step with God. Number one, have an open life. Sin, like bacteria, multiplies in dark places. It's good to be accountable to trustworthy people for those areas in our lives where we might be tempted to stray. A major principle of self-control is for each of us to have friends and community who care about our spiritual condition, who will help provide or provide help along the way so that we can achieve victory in areas that we're likely to struggle. We all need to have friends like these. Friends who we can maintain a humble and accountable relationship And we need to be open about our lives with them. Call them when the urge to do something wrong is hitting hard. Number two, flee from temptation. Run the other way. The Bible's pretty plain about this. Run for your life. Yes, sometimes self-control requires physically leaving the scene of temptation or avoiding spots like that to begin with. If you're angry with someone and you sense that you're about to say things that you shouldn't say, you may need to leave and revisit the issues at another time. Resolution can only come when there's goodwill. And yes, sometimes self-control requires shutting a heated moment down, walking away in order to return to the topic later with a plan that treats other people as something of value. Number three is to immerse yourself in the church family. 1 Corinthians says, you're the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Each one of us is a member of it. There's no such thing as flourishing Christians who are not a vital part of their local church. Such spiritually displaced people, they're not ministering to their fellow local believers and they're not receiving ministry from those same members of Jesus' body. So the challenge is for us to be a vitally connected part of the church family. For us to participate, yes, in the Sunday gatherings like this today, but also in the other groups and opportunities to be church together during the week. As iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 27 says that that we can sharpen each other. And finally, but probably most importantly, pray. Ask God for help. God desires that we bring everything to him. Philippians 4 reminds us not to worry about anything, but to pray about everything and to do so with an attitude of thankfulness. 
There is nothing that you're facing, nothing that you're tempted by that God doesn't care about. He wants you to take all of it to him. Verse 7 promises that if you do this, the peace of God will guard your heart. And this peace of God is the good soil that the fruit of the Spirit will grow in. If you don't maintain a relationship with God, you can't grow his fruit. Talk to him, listen to him, get into his rhythm. Let him calm your soul and bask in his presence. So there we have it, self-control. Those tips that I've just shared, they're like a toolkit. These happen to be tools made of the finest materials, but even the best tools on earth do no good for anyone if they're not used. And as we finish this series, looking at the fruit of the Spirit, I want to challenge all of us to put these into good use, to watch the fruit of the Spirit begin to grow larger and healthier in our lives, both individually and as a community, as we practice these four vital principles to walking in self-control. And clearly, this last but not least of the fruits, it's vital to our success as Christians. So may we be willing soil in which the Holy Spirit can grow all nine of these precious fruits. Thank you very much, Nathan, for sharing with us.